January 12th, 2024, we're in Masechet Vava Kama Yod Bet Amud Aleph, counting up from the bottom of the Amud, it's six lines up, the first word on the line, Vehatanya. If you recall, the Gemara had presented for us two approaches, which um, in turn were uh, presented as maybe a mahloket between uh, two Beraitot. The question was, of course, whether slaves, avadim, are to be considered like land. And of course, there are many ramifications. The one specifically that at that point in the Gemara and the Sugya we honed in on was whether, with regards to what's called kinyan agav, acquiring movable objects by means of acquiring land. I purchase the land and as a result of that, I don't need to do another act of acquisition, another kinyan, ma'ase kinyan, on the car or the object that I'm going to get together with it. Would that work with regards to slaves as well? Bought the slave and I get other items together with it. I don't need to do separate ma'ase kinyan on those other things or not. That's a question that was addressed between Emoraim, Ula, and Rav Nachman. The suggestion was maybe that was the dispute, the disagreement in Beraitot. The Gemara suggested both of the Beraitot, which we cited, could be read through the light, the understanding of both approaches. So we weren't able to conclusively uh, put, put that matter to bay. The Gemara now continues, it finishes off that thought by raising yet another contradiction in Beraitot. The Gemara will, after this contradiction, suggest this only works with one of the approaches, and then suggest otherwise, deflecting and saying, we really don't have a conclusion to this matter. After which, of course, we'll go on to the next issue. But says the Gemara, Vehatanya, we have a Beraita, which seems to contradict the first of the Beraitot, which was cited on the Amud, because this Beraita says, Hehazik bakarka. If a person makes a kinyan hazaka or any other kinyan on land, they can by so doing uh, agav, again, the concept of kinyan agav, I do one act, one ma'ase kinyan on the land, I get something else. This Piraita says, do the kinyan on karka and you on land, and you'll get avadim as well. You could get slaves through so doing. You don't need to do a separate ma'ase kinyan on the slaves. The Piraita we saw sided upward on the amud, some 14 or so lines from the top, said otherwise. It said the opposite. Hazik karka lokana avadim. That's a blatant and a stark contradiction. Says the Gemara, I'll tell you how to resolve this. It appears as if we can say the following. Hatam over there, meaning this second beraita which we just cited, which we just quoted, be'omdim betochah. The case must be that the slaves are standing on the land that you're acquiring. In other words, the earlier beraita, which stated unequivocally, very clearly, that when you make the kinyan on the land, you get as well, that you don't get as well the slaves as when the slaves are not on that land. This beraita, which says, Package deal, buy the land, get the slaves as well. Must be the slaves are standing on it. It's still working as a kinyana agav, but we have a package deal because of their presence on the land. So I was okay, let's try to break this down. This is what we were up to at the end of class yesterday. Mikelal, we can derive from this very simply. Dehai lokana kishe'enom din betocha. Oh, the difference in whether you acquire, whether you get the slaves as part of this package deal or part of the deal in doing the ma'ase kinyan, the act of acquisition on the land or not, is whether the slaves are standing on the ground or not. Yes, if they're on the field, on the courtyard, on the uh, whatever that you're buying, 
then you get them as part of the deal. If they're not, you don't. So that's the Gemara. Let's try to break this down based on the logic that we saw earlier presented in these Biraitot. This is understood, this is acceptable according to one of, it appears, the two Lishonot. Now, of course, the word Lashon uh, means a tongue. Uh, in this week's parasha, Arba Lishonot Shil Geulah is not referring to tongues nor to nations. It's referring to concepts. Lishna is a conceptual approach. In this week's parasha is a description of the approaches that God will have to Am Yisrael. When the Gemara uses that Lashon as, well, there you are. Those words, that, that word as well, Lashon or Lishna, doesn't just mean a word, it means a concept. So says the Gemara, Hanicha, this is understood. If we were to accept that approach which we had earlier on the page, that slaves are not to be considered like land, but rather like movable objects with regards to commercial activities, still waiting for it, Al. I can, for that reason, accept and understand that if the slave is on the field, well, then you can acquire the slave as part of this kinyan agav from the land. If not, not. But, says the Gemara, but according to the other concept, the other approach, if you recall, the other way to go on this matter, which is everything we've been talking about the last three days, is a slave like land or like movable objects. If you say that the slave is like land, let me ask you a question. Why should the slave need to be standing on the field in order to acquire the slave as part of my act of acquisition on the land? What do you mean? Again, the whole issue over here is this kinyan agav. Can I do one? It's a hassle. You're going to make me take the slaves and the land? Listen, I'm on your field right now. Let me do the kinyan on the field in this moment. I'll build the gate. I'll put a new lock on. I throw in the slaves. I don't want to have to do. I don't have to pull the slaves. I'll send my. Uh, I'll send my people to pick up the slaves. I don't need to do a kinyan. Can I do that or not? Now says the Gemara, and it'll quote it explicitly in just a moment. What would be the halacha with regards to? I want to buy not just this property from you. I want to buy nine other properties from you. Do I need to go into each one of them? A new lock on each one? I don't need to. Well, if I don't need to, that teaches me, and we'll read it in the Gemara in just a moment. That if I compare, that if I'm dealing with lands, a kinyan again, an act of acquisition on one land on karka hat is konelikulam. I can have this package deal. I do it in there, and it counts for all of them. Why wouldn't that count for the slave? Why do you need the slave to be standing, sitting on the field? Yes, Jeff. That's a that's a classic Kenyan agav. Unless you're going to ask me why are you asking animals specifically as opposed to a table. Because they move, good. So uh, what we already suggested, and we'll make more clear later on, is that although, and you, you, you remember already, that with regards to slaves, the fact that the slaves are moving might make, a, might make a difference, what we will suggest explicitly, and we already implicitly address this, is that animals, and certainly the car, even though they can move, they don't, so to speak, have a high-level functioning mind that they're going to move. You have them in place, that's sufficient. It's only a human being we're going to talk about who can run away. Ironically, even though you said a slave should be staying in place, but a slave might run. Where animals are like uh, immovable, well, objects that can be moved, but not on their own. What's that? 
Yes, with regards to an Eved that needs to be bound. The question is with regards to, <laughs> questions with regards to behemot. Uh, they don't need to, per se. Or tied up or something along those lines. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what we're doing. That's, no, 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 it's excellent. That's a great question. That's exactly what we're toying with. That's exactly what we're doing. We're turning to Rav Nachman from earlier. He said it, couldn't have said it better. I was, uh, Rabbi, he's thinking about Rabbi Nachman of Uman. I'm on Rav Nachman, but fantastic. Or you're on Nachman uh, Asul, you know. Uh, but, uh, but Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman, it's, it's the approach which we suggested for Rav Nachman uh, to resolve these beraitot that is exactly the issue at, core in, at, at stake in the Gemara. So that's what the Gemara says, Ella lehachli shna. According to that concept, which we set forward, that was, I'll say it like you, Rav Nachman's approach, why does then the slave need to be standing, or if the slave is not standing on the field, it doesn't work. Don't we have an undisputed, indisputed statement of Shemuel? I'm selling you a field here in New York, and in New Jersey, and in Pennsylvania, and in Israel and in China and so on and so forth. I know it's going to be hard for you to go all around, but I want it off my table. I want it entirely yours. And you want it immediately. Do a hazaka on one of them. You acquired all of them. So why would it be any different with regards to a slave? So in other words, what the Gemara is doing is that approach, which was inspired by Rav Nachman to suggest that Eved is kikarka, slaves are like land, is under attack over here. How do you explain the difference in these two beraitot? In one beraita it stated, which we understood, according to Rav Nachman, this second one, that the Eved can be nikna, can be acquired, agav, karka, based on the land, because Eved is like land. But if you argue that it can't be, and the difference is whether the slave is on the land or not, I can't understand the difference. Says the Gemara, Ula Ta'amich, Wait a second. So you're telling me the, how do we say it? Ula? The Ula approach. Not like, I like, ironically, Alan, you bring me back into my yeshiva days. You know, that's, that's soon we're going to be doing Oiz and, and, and Yiddish as well. Anyway, says the Gemara. And according to the other approach that the slave, and Jared will help us as well, and that a slave is like movable object, uh, this works better? Let me. What? Still, what do they need to be on proper sense? According to the Ula approach, according to that suggestion that really slaves are like movable object with regards to acquiring agav, it's part of the package deal. I still don't understand why the slave needs to be on the land. You know the is in this Indeed. You and Jeffrey are. A step ahead of us. No, no, I didn't say you're right. Yeah, a step ahead of us. No, that's, that's a great point. Don't we know that the halakha is top of daf yod bet amud bet? You don't need, savur means piled. You don't need the objects that you're acquiring, agav karka, by means of acquiring the land, to be piled on the land. That's just not the halakha. It could be that I'm acquiring your land on East 2nd and I'm taking your car, which is on East 21st. I, that, that works. So it, you told me that maybe the difference over here with regards to the slaves is if the slave's on the land and not on the land, 
I, you, you try to defend this and to say that's a difference which makes sense if we consider the slaves to be movable objects. If it's land, it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense if it's movable objects either. In other words, we're really back to square one. It's just a contradiction in Beraitot, which I don't understand. Why would one Beraita say that I can acquire the slave together with the land, Kinyan Agav, and the other one say otherwise? What's the difference? Ela, ma'it lach lememar. Rather, perhaps you must say, as Jesse, as Jeffrey have walked us into this, as the Gemara really led us to this yesterday, shane metaltele de nayede. Perhaps what you, who maintains uh, that Evid uh, is that slaves are like movable objects, not like land, you have to say that I understand it's like movable objects, but an object which moves on its own, a slave, as opposed to an object, a cup, a table, which doesn't move on its own, are different. You need the slave which moves on its own to be positioned on the land in order to make it as a kinyan agav. Uh, you wouldn't need the table, the chair, the cup to be on the land. What about an animal? Tosafot, top right-hand corner. Tosafot, quote, from the Gemara elsewhere in Kiddushin and Tafkathav that very clearly animals are not nayedeh. They're not movable. They do move on their own. They do move on their own, but there's a much lower level intellect. As Nathan said, you need, a, you need a, a base level protection to make sure that they're not moving out. Slaves are conniving and are thinking about where they're going and how they're going, and they need to relieve themselves. They go into the bathroom, etc. The fact that... That's, give me one second. Great question. Give me one, give me one brief second in order to address that. It's a very important question. But just this Tosafot, we'll come to your question once again. We're talking specifically about slaves which have higher level intellect being different. We don't consider them movable or self-moving is the right word. And as a result, even if they're not on the property, you can acquire them. Cites explicitly from the Gemara and Kiddushin and Daf Kavav. Let me just finish the Gemara and then address what ABS, and that is, who cares if the slaves can move? Ultimately speaking, I'm doing a Kinyan Agav, so they could move, they could not move, they need to be on land because they can move on their own. Who cares? For, for that, says the Gemara, so too over here, I'll say for the other angle, for the Rav Nachman angle, I can suggest that lands which move, well, what's a land which moves? A slave, which is considered like land but moves, is different different than lands which don't move, meaning real land. Why? Slaves are like movable or self-moving land. But when it comes to lands in the real, physical, literal sense, uh, the uh, platform of the ground is all one. Even though I'm dealing with one uh, land in New York and the other one in New Jersey, the other one in uh, China, they're all connected. Even though it's overseas, they're all connected as opposed to something which moves on its own. Uh, why does it make a difference, ultimately speaking in our sugya, whether the slave is moving on its own or not? And uh, first and foremost. So the answer needs to be to Abi's question, is that you need to go back to the sourcing. What's our sourcing on Kenyan? We mentioned it yesterday. It's that pasuk by King Yehoshaphat. Remember, he bequeaths, he gives as a present to his children the gold and the silver. 
in the cities. And the cities are not movable items. They don't move on their own. As a result, the understanding, and of course you need to tease this out because it's going to tell you something about what Kinyan Agav is truly all about, is that it needs to be similar to a city, which is stationary. Why so? Generally speaking, they quote the Aharonim suggests that the, the definition when it comes to Kinyan Agav this acquisition by means of another thing is not just merely a package deal, like I might say to you, I'll pe- pe- throw this into the package. It has a greater depth to it than that. It's that the item which is being bought, agav, is batel. What does batel mean? It's almost as if it doesn't, it gets swallowed up by the land. So I'm selling you the land, that's the way they usually quote the quote from, uh, uh, I'll say this one for you, Rabbi Zalman Meltzer. That, that is exactly the point, which means to give me a second to articulate it, which means to say if I'm buying the land from you and I say and throw in the car, we say the car was swallowed by the land. Oh, it was swallowed by the land. It's, the, it's really fundamentally an acquisition on the land and you're throwing in a car. car might be very expensive, but the land, it overwhelms it. So I'm paying you for the land. You may have raised the price because the car's coming in as well, but the car is being subsumed, is the right word maybe, by the deal on the land. When it comes to, and the furniture comes as part of the deal. It might be, I charge you a little bit more, it might be. I, I, slaves, though, cannot be batil. The fact that they have in the Lashon of Tosafot, that, and could on their own move, Abi, means they're not the same thing. That's, that's one approach to this. General, Someone has three slaves, and they're like land, you have to determine which ones you're buying. Because it's like buying another piece of land. Be- again, I want to buy from his. Buy sl- land. Yes. And then there's three slaves on it, but those three slaves are considered land. They're on the land, or they're not. And I'm doing it as a kinyanagav. No, no. Once they're on, I, I understand. Yeah, but if they're on the property and we establish them as not movable. Then uh, we can make that. Maybe they need to be sleeping. Tosafot yesterday or bound up entirely. Agreed. Agreed. Correct. 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 The the other the other approach to these last lines in the Gemara is an altogether different approach, inspired again by Ab's question. Who cares? Once I'm doing a kinyan agav, I'm acquiring the land, and I get something else. Okay, it can move, but I'm binding it up. Okay, it's got its own mind. I know, uh, Jared says, slaves are human beings, they can't be subsumed by something, but they could. It, we do treat slaves like property. Maybe it's land, maybe it's movable, it is property. The other approach to this sugya that the Aharonim, I don't know that this is in the Rishonim, suggests is that we took a spin in these final few lines. We took a, an about face. We now concluded that when the Beraita said that slaves can be acquired, agav karka, by means of acquiring the land, it wasn't a kinyan agav. We have different t- modes of acquisition. We've in the last two days talked about two. It's because they're on the land which is a kinyan hatzer. In other words, it didn't happen in the same split second. It doesn't occur the same way I say to you, here's the deal, sign this document, you got the land, and in that same second, you got the car. 
That's in the same second. The other way to go is you got the land, once we drive the car onto your land, or in the second after the land is yours, whatever's on the land is yours as well. The suggestion is that these final lines are, are going, if you, if you follow this, great, if not, all right, um, that, that these final lines are going is that the avadim are niknim when they're on the land with a method, a mode called kinyan hatser. That's the courtyard which makes the acquisition as opposed to a kinyan agaf. And as a result, it would need to be tied up. Kenyan Hatzer needs to be Hatzer Uh No, no, not necessarily. Yeah, but that was because we, very good. That was because we were using the slave as a courtyard. Right, remember, we needed him bound up. So over here, so. But Kenyan So this supports the notion of the second Tosafot and that Yodbet Amud Aleph that Kinyan Agav at its core is only the Rabbanan, and as a result, they say it, they say, state it explicitly, they write, Ukra, right under the Rabbi Akiva Eger note in Dibura Matchil Anamatnita, De'arim Misurot, that's the Pasuk, Asmachta Be'almahu. It's just an Asmachta, which means a rabbinic nod to the Pasuk. It's not that we're deriving it from there, it's that we nod to that in order to, uh, to explain the law. Automatic, or of course, it's because it's the kin- that's in the kinyan, and you never have to do it. Needs to be stated explicitly. Uh, so Needs- it happens to be a car, and we didn't talk about the car. That the car doesn't get. It'll depend there based on what the general yeah. assumption is. But if it's an expensive car, which you're not interested in giving, it needs to be explicitly stated. Yeah. Does this save her face because you called her a different name? At this point, Rav Nachman and Ula both stand strong. Both of the Beraitot could be explained according to their opinions. Yeah. So it's good because they called her a different name, now it's not But even if, again, even if we called it a Kinyan Agav, which is the one he was dealing with, we were able to resolve this. It took a little bit more twisting to explain it. He was. Not only was he adamant, as, as Judah will remind you, he had an explicit beraita. Tane avimi. He was the strongest. Rav Nachman was much stronger than Ula. A lot of this conversation of lemak tanae, let's find two beraitot, was really just to defend Ula. All right, anyway, says the Gemara, uh, moving forward, uh, let's turn back to our Mishnah. And we're going to go uh, for a day or two, uh, or maybe a little bit more, uh, in a little bit of a different direction than uh, we've been accustomed to. And uh, we're not even going to be talking about the commercial activity for the next little bit. Uh, we're going to go back to the Mishnah, but the Mishnah, if you recall, was initially talking about ways of damaging and being responsible for it. And it gave us a list of under what conditions are you liable to pay. And the first of those conditions was that your animal or you or your property damaged property which is en bo me'ilah. That property doesn't have, we translate it as, it's not hekdish, it's not sanctified. Why do we translate it as that? And there's a little bit of introduction that's necessary here. Because hekdish, uh, when something is sanctified, if I say this cup is sanctified, maybe I shouldn't touch it, um, and the, the cup as a result has an isur hana'am, not allowed to benefit from it. If I were to benefit from it, the Torah says that's an isur called me'ila. Lim'ol means to take something and use something that's not rightfully yours. We use that word by a 
woman who's an isha sota as well, if she potentially uh, uh, was uh, inf- uh, uh, committed infidelity to her husband, she's mo'il ma'al. She dealt with something that's not hers and not and did the wrong thing. She betrayed. That's what's called me'ila. We have it on Shabbat morning. Well, every morning, Charles will tell you. We have something that we read in the Korbanot called Asham Me'ilot. It was a Korban which was brought if you committed the sin of benefiting from Hikdesh. Oh, so as a result, when the Mishnah told us that if you damaged an animal which is Enbo Me'ila, we very simply translate it as, as it's not Kodesh. Right? That was the easiest way to translate it. And I said to you at the time, purposefully, it's a rabbinic flourish. It's the way the rabbis talk. The rabbis, instead of saying it's not Hikdesh, it's not holy, they say it doesn't have Me'ila, which amounts to the same thing. The Gemara here will say to us, not so fast, nice, simple reading of it, but it's a little bit more intricate than that. What if I can find you a case of something that is Kodesh, it has a sanctity to it, but it doesn't have the sin of Me'ila attached to it as well? The Mishnah is telling us that in that situation, you'd be liable. Why am I liable? Because the Mishnah is telling you the only time you don't pay, excuse me, the only time you don't pay is if there is me'ila. If it doesn't have me'ila, even though it's owned by, so to speak, God, the Kohanim, the Mikdash, I'm still going to have to pay. What type of case could you come up with? The way I simply, purposefully explained it to you is anytime it's Ekdesh, there is me'ila, the Gemara is going to search and quickly find a very classic case for a Talmud learner, you'll be very familiar with this. For an outsider or an initial outsider, it'll take you a little bit to wrap your head around this, but it should become something. You know, says the Gemara here, what, uh, six lines from the top. That's a citation from the Mishnah, the words we just mentioned. Says the Gemara, uh, What the Mishnah is describing, let means there is not. Yod taf is yesh. Let is lo yesh. There is not. There's no me'ila in this animal that you're that, that you damaged, and that's why you're liable. But hamikdash kadashe. But uh, you would still be liable to pay, even though it's hikdash. What's the case? Where can I find a case where something is hikdash but doesn't have me'ila? Mantana. Who's the author of our Mishnah? We can only find one opinion who has such a case where something is sanctified and it's holy and it doesn't have that sin called me'ila. In other words, you're allowed to benefit from it. Amar biyohanan bekodashim kalim va'alibadir biyoseh ha'gilimi de'amar mamon be'alim hu. This is the famous opinion of Rabbi Yoseh HaGilili, that Kodashim Kalim Mamon Be'alim Hu. I'm going to define all those words, and I'll tell you, you're going to find these words in many Masechtot, you'll learn Masechet Sukkah, and not only in the, the Korbanot zones, in Masechet Kiddushin, elsewhere you'll find such a concept. There is, when it comes to Korbanot, we saw a few minutes, when it comes to Korbanot, there's two types of Korbanot. We generally say it again, Shabbat or every morning, we break them up. There's Kodshe Kodashim and there's Kadashim. Kalim. Uh, what does that mean? It means that some are sanctified sanctities, very holy uh, the sacrifices, and the other ones are lighter. It doesn't mean they're not holy, but they're lighter. Uh, what's the difference between them? Uh, just very basically, without getting into the details, let's give some names. When you're dealing with Koche Kodashim, we're dealing with Korbanot like Ola, Hatat, Asham. The person who brought the sacrifice doesn't get to eat from it. It has, as a result, we can say very easily, that's more, it's more, it has a heavier status to it. That's not what we're going to be dealing with. Then there's like a korban shelamim, a korban toda, a korban pe, 
Pesach and Korbanot of that sort, that's what's called Kadashim Kalim. Kal means light, means something that's less severe. What's that? The owner who brings it eats from it. That's Kadashim Kalim. Okay, now, Nubiyose Hagilili, this rabbi, is talking, go ahead. Kadashim Kalim. True. Not for, not for these purposes of, of qualifying it as Kadashim Kalim. For different, for different things, yes. Um, uh, uh, interesting, important, important. But it says, it says the Gemara, Rabbi Yosei Hagelini has the following interesting approach. His approach is that when I'm dealing with any of those korbanot, shilamim, shalmesim hasham, etc., the fact that I'm consuming it, the fact that I'm a part of it, means that I have an ownership of it as well. In ownership. Halachically speaking, legally speaking, in the halacha world, this is yours. Generally speaking, I sanctified this, I made this holy, that's no longer yours. You can't do anything with it. Kadashim Kalim, although you have responsibilities, you have to bring it to the korba, the mikdash, etc., it doesn't ha- lose that ownership status to the extent that there's no me'ila is the suggestion now with Gemara. So listen to the case again. I have an animal. I say about this animal, you know, I'm feeling very grateful to God. Korban toda. Harezo toda. So I'm going to have to bring that animal to the Mikdash. We're going to slaughter it. I'm going to eat it. There's going to be loaves of bread. It's going to be a beautiful feast. And we're going to be thanking God throughout, etc., whatever. What's the status of that animal prior to slaughtering it? Well, you say to me, it's Kodesh. It's not yours, Harari. Says it'll be Osir It's still yours. What's the practical difference? Who cares if it's yours? There are many. But the one for us right now is what if now you damage it? Since it's still my status, Kadashim Kalim is Mamon Be'alim, it means that you're liable to pay for it. So that's the statement here in our Gemara. Says the Gemara, you are liable to pay me. Because I can. There is no me'ilah. Says the Gemara, Mantana, who would be the author of our Mishnah again? Amar Biohanan. It must be that we're dealing with Kadashim Kalim. Uh, we're going to call that. If it was Koche Kodashim? Certainly not liable. That's the part. It's a Mishnah later on in the Lamidvav Lamidzain of Shore'ehu. Because when it's this lighter level korban, which is measured by the fact that I can eat from it, it means that I keep a legal ownership over it. It's still mine to a certain. I have responsibilities. I have, I'm forced to do something with it, but it's still mine. You, you damaged it. It's still considered mine. The pasuk in the Torah, which teaches me that if you damage, if your animal damages my, the, the animal, which is hektesh, says that it, it damages shore'ehu. Re'ehu means your friend. It's still your friend's animal. Someone else's, of course. So the aliba, the aliba means, and according to the opinion of the Rabbi Yosef Gilili, the Aman Mamun Be'alimhu. Where, where the, we've been assuming something. Who told you that Rabbi Yosef Gilili maintains that? The Tanya, we have a Beraita from which we derive and understand his opinion on again. Kadashim Kalim. It's a little bit of a hard derasha, but we'll break it down. This pasuk has nothing to do with a korban. This pasuk has to do with what's called kefirah 
on a picador. This pasuk is coming out of left field, but the concept I'm telling you again that we need to come away with is that according to the Biosea Gilili, Kadashim Kalim, a korban shalamim, a korban todah, all those, those animals and korbanot which you're going to eat from are considered like yours. This pasuk is talking about again, Kefiran a picador, which means to say, I lose, I mess up somehow the item which you entrusted me to have guardianship over it. Now, the halacha is I need to swear that I was not negligent or whatever the circumstance was. And I go into court and I swear falsely. The halacha is in such a circumstance I'm liable to pay for it and I have a penalty and I have a korban and so forth. That's what I have. Let's listen to the pasuk. Uma'ala ma'al badonai. Pasuk at the beginning of Sefer Vayikra. The Pasuk says, uh, well, let's read it a little bit. It says, Nefesh ki if a soul, a person sins, and betrays God. You deny your friend, in other words, the wrongdoing, but we're going to focus on again the kihesh ba'amito befikadon. I deny, I, I, I claim no wrongdoing falsely, and then the pasuk tells me my responsibility. Now, the way that Rabbi Oseha Gilili is going to read this pasuk is well, let's pay attention to those words again. Uma'ala ma'al ba'monai. The pasuk says that you betrayed God, and then it says the kihesh ba'amito. How did you betray God by uh, being uh, denying to your friend? He reads it in two ways. He reads it like this. In other words, he reads that word, the denial, the denying, as both to your friend and to God. Under what circumstance are you, so to speak, sinning both to God and to your friend? Uh, it's because I did something to an animal, which was, let's put quotation mark, both gods, Kodesh, Hikdesh, and your friends. Where'd you find such a situation? Kadashim Kalim, according to the Biosei That's the Derasha. So again, Kadashim Kalim, this comes to include as well, that if your friend entrusts you, he says, could you watch over this animal? You watch over the animal, but he says, see, this animal, my family and I were so thankful to God, we're going to bring it to the Mikdash, we're going to slaughter that, it's a Korban Toda. And in that situation, you then go and deny wrongdoing. In such a situation, this Pasuk with the Viki which is read in both directions, comes to include Kadashim Kalin, Shehen Mamono, Divrei Biose Hagilili. So that, for all intents and purposes, settles the initial statement of Rabbi Yohanan. Rabbi Yohanan, who's commenting on our Mishnah, and our Mishnah told us that you're liable for damage to an animal which doesn't have me'ilah. It suggested that even though it has a sanctity, it's holy, it's Kodesh, you're still going to be responsible. Under what circumstance can you find Hikdesh without me'ilah? I'm using those words easily now. You can find it in Kadashim Kalim, in those uh, sacrifices where a person eats from it, which according to Biosia Gilili, not only is Kodesh, so to speak, on its way to God, but it maintains its status as my possession. We're going to pause here, but I'm just going to tell you where we're going. We're going to challenge challenge this with the following. What would you say, according to the Biosech Gilili, what would you say if I, strange situation, but thankfully I said two weddings last night. Imagine I'm at one of those two weddings and the Hatan says, I have something very special for you, honey. What's that? I don't want to just be Mikadesh you in the standard way with a coin or with a ring. I brought you an animal which I sanctified for the Mikdash. This is going to be yours right now. Hareat Mikudeshili with this animal. I sanctified this animal to be a Korban Todah, Korban Shilamim. We're going to go and enjoy it and we're going to eat it, but it's yours. 
is it yours to the extent that you could be Mekadesh a woman? After all, that's what the rabbis, that's what the witnesses ask you. Is this ring yours? Is that clone yours? Well, if it's yours, then you could be Mekadesh. This animal, which is a korban todah, korban shalamin, kadashim kalim, according to the Biyosei Adilili, we should quite simply say, of course you could be Mekadesh. It's a little weird, but you could be Mekadesh a woman with it. You can betroth her. You can engage her with it. You could say, I have Mekadesh, because it's yours. We're going to read a Mishnah. We're going to read a Mishnah which explicitly says it's not, so good question. And in turn, we're going to challenge this whole notion we had until now. We'll see that on Monday. Baruch Amen